All right, we've got a pitch clock on us, so I want to make sure that we get this done right. How much more time do I have left? Oh, my God, it's running out. They're going to call a strike on us. It's locked on MLB. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. baseball fans and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all the Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Look at there's my lower third. You can call me Sully. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Uh, Today's episode, which is being dropped on the 8th day of March 2023, we are going to be talking a little bit about the pitch clock, why I like it, the WBC, how can I like it more, and the new cores, the best teammates, lineups, groups, what teams are going to have the new cores, much like the Yankees had in the 90s and the 2000s, much like the Giants had in the 2010s. This is much too big a podcast to do by myself. So right over there, who do we got? It's me, Miller Thomas, host of the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. You can follow my personal Twitter account at CreatorThomas24. You can also follow the show account, Locked on Diamondbacks, both Twitter and Instagram. Just type it in the little search bar. And please hit subscribe as we're closing in on 400 subscribers on the Locked on Diamondbacks YouTube channel. And you can follow the show here at Locked on MLB Pod. Same handle for Instagram. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. I think I'm on still on Mastodon. I don't remember. Just type in Sully Baseball. You'll find me. And we are closing in on 1 billion subscribers Woo. on YouTube. We're several hundred million, hundred billion off there. Nah. Uh, just like I felt like I was a little off there. And um, Millard. Yes. You're the young one. I'm the handsome one. Uh what now? We're going to try to keep the pace of play of this podcast down a little bit. We're not going to have sure. one of our long marathons, so we're on the clock. Um, we talked a little bit in one of the previous episodes about the pitch clock, but now that we've seen it implemented, we've seen some of the the how you know some of the ups and downs and and it being how it's being done in play, and we're seeing some people go, what, what, I, "Why was that a strike?" and everything. Uh, we saw Eric Hosmer get called for that, you know, in an at bat where he was playing games in the in the batter's box. But we're also seeing the games are going by faster. We're yeah. also seeing the pace of play has improved. We're seeing that people are getting in the box. We're seeing that pitchers are, you know, winding up and throwing, and we're seeing the game move along in, uh, you know, in a in a nice fashion. Some people don't like it. A lot of people who uh, have been accused, not like it being accused of being old fogies. I'm an old fogey. I'm over 50 and I've been resistant to some of baseball changes. Ghost runner in second is still a travesty. I still don't want a universal DH. I love the pitch clock. I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. And yes, there are kinks to work out. That's why we have spring training. But uh, tell me your thoughts on it now that we've seen it for a couple of weeks in some spring training games. 
Oh, I mean, I absolutely love the pitch clock. I love the idea of getting to the action, of course, quicker and more efficiently. Now, maybe we do need to add a few more ticks on the pitch clock because 15 Mm -hmm. seconds can be kind of quick between pitches if there's nobody on. But what I don't like is the discourse surrounding the pitch clock for anyone that feels like there might be less strategy now in the the pre-pitch with the batters, whatever they do in their routine to kind of throw off the, 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 the... the motion of the pitchers or just the fact that some people think that the batters and pitchers don't have enough time between pitches. And some of that might be true, but I feel like the discourse around the pitch clock, it's almost like we're just discounting baseball players as athletes. Now I feel like we don't consider baseball players to be high IQ athletes. Like they can't figure out within 15 seconds, what a pitcher should do with the next pitch, what a batter should do, what he should be looking for. Like, I feel like because of this pitch clock, now we're assuming these athletes, these cream of the crop athletes, they're just not smart enough to figure out what to do in between pitch to pitch and there's not enough time. And I feel like I don't like that discourse. These are the best baseball players in the world. These are the best of the best. And I think they are more than adept at learning on the fly and adjusting to these new rules and settings that they have because I feel like too many people are just discounting and saying the pitch clock is bad. Let's get rid of it because these guys don't have enough time to strategize. I'm like, these are the best of the best. You know what? Sometimes quarterbacks, they don't get the play in on time and they have to take a delay of game. That's going to happen sometimes with these batters and pitchers. Sometimes they're just going to have to take a strike because they weren't able to strategize quick enough. And that's okay. We see it in basketball. If you don't get your shot off in time, you take a buzzer beater violation. Maybe they need to add a few more seconds to the pitch clock. But the idea that these guys can't figure out between 15 and 30 seconds, either if you're a pitcher, what pitch to throw next. If you're a batter, what you should keen on next. I don't like that surrounding the discourse because I think we're undervaluing how smart these baseball players actually are. Also, I know I'm not supposed to say this. Maybe this will simplify the game a little bit. Maybe this will, you know, I mean, look at, I I think there's... I mean, I think there's been there's been a revolution of information and everything. I think that's fantastic. But I mean, the example I've given this example many times, but I can't think of a better example when overthinking stats has can come about and overthinking the 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 information we have was that game I went to in Anaheim where the Angels had two on the the, the Angels of the Mariners two on nobody out six inning. Uh, Jared Kelnick, Kalenic is up. If I mispronounce his name. He was batting like 160 at the time. And they took out the pitcher because I'm sure the stats showed that this pitcher warming up was slightly better than the pitcher on the mound. But it's a 160 hitter. A major league pitcher should be able to get that. That's like what a an American League pitcher would be hitting in a in an interleague game. Two outs, nobody on. We're going to stop the game because a piece of analysis showed that this pitcher is slightly better than that. How about you say, hey, get the 160 batter out. We get to move on. Instead, pitcher comes out. New pitcher comes in. They warm up. Guess what? Kalenic made the out. So everyone walks back. Everyone walks in. They warm up. And it's like you ground the game to a halt. Because of a piece of information you had, or all the times like, oh god, this one's coming up. It's in my hat. Uh, let me check what's in the hat. Like, or you you have a you know you trust the catcher to to give them a uh, you know give them a, a game plan. I mean, did were were players? Do they used to be smarter, or are we overloading ourselves with information to the point where like, hey, what if you just throw a decent pitch and see what happens? 
I like this. Why have we sent them, get them where they can ground out the short, see what happens instead of, oh, wait a minute, now that's here and here. Like, sometimes it is, yeah, sometimes it's a game of chess and sometimes it's a game of connect four. You know, I mean, like, it, it doesn't always have to be this massive example. Well, what do we do here? I don't know. Like, you know, it was the, the, I don't know if you know, um, you know, Stan Musial, one of the great players of all time, was teammates with Kurt Flood. I've been reading way too much about Kurt Flood and his influence on the game. And he was played with Stan Musial. Uh, and he said, and Stan was just a brilliant hitter, one of the great offensive players of all time. And Kurt Flood asked him, well, how, what's your strategy when you're at the plate? And he says, when I see a good pitch, I hit the hell out of it. Hmm. Now. What strategy? I mean, yes, there's 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 a there's a mid ground. Having all this information, and everything is very helpful to win. But also sometimes throw a pitch, see 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 if you can get them out. I, I love this take, Sully, because we've talked about a lot in baseball about how sometimes analytics is kind of too overbearing on the game, right? When you go back to that 2020 World Series, as we were talking before we got on the mic, when you look at the Tampa Bay Rays taking out Blake Snell when he's cruising, like if you're just rolling through the game and you're just going based off, like we need to bring back the the feel of the game, right? Sometimes it gets too analytics and too black and white based. And I think the pitch clock can bring back the feel of the game where it's like, you know what? I'm just feeling my fastball today. I don't even care if this is a fastball count. I'm just going to let it fly because that's the best pitch that I'm feeling today. Or or do you think it quicker? Yeah. You know, no, it, you're, you're a big hockey guy. You're a very big hockey guy. How often when they're going up and down, up and down the ice, you say, wait a second, hold on. Does everyone let's lower down a second? Now, granted, it's a different sport, but you still have strategy and everything like that to deal with on, on those things. We're talking about the pace of play. The pace of play, and I can't stress this enough, pace of play and length of game are not the same thing. They're not synonymous. It's the It's the amount of action that's taking place on the game. When the catcher comes running up to say, now remember him, you do this, you do this, you do this for every damn batter. How about giving the pitcher a little bit of credit saying my stuff can get him out. I I am not anti-analytics. I just fervently believe that every single analytical addition to the game in the last generation or so has slowed the game down. What analytical uh, trend has added to the pace of the game. I, I, if, if I'm wrong, send me a tweet at Sully Baseball. Working the counts, uh, focusing only on the three true outcomes, not caring about strikeouts, you know, focusing on the home runs or the walks, taking away the running game, going station to station. You know, uh, you know, making sure that you're 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 running the pitch count up. Lots of pitching changes throughout the game. I mean, every one of those things, while analytically accurate, slows the game down. Mm-hmm. 
And listen, these guys still have scouting reports. The pitchers and batters both have scouting reports. So when a pitcher's on the mound and he sees Jose Abreu coming up to the batter's box or whatever, he's like, all right, I have to keep it away from the middle of the strike zone. I have to keep it keep it low because that's his hot zone. And also, you're going to know, I'm a pitcher. If I get him my one-two count, I know what my put-away pitch is. I already know what my go-to pitch is going to be when I have two strikes on the call. So I'm going to look at the tendencies of a batter. And I'm going to know what my go-to pitch is. And I'm still going to execute my game plan. Same thing with the batters they are going to go up to the batter's box and they're going to say okay once a 2-0 count i know this guy likes to throw a fastball in that situation i'm just going to be waiting on it you're still going to have scouting reports where these guys have pre-information going up to the batter's box when they're on the mound getting ready to to pitch the ball so it's like yeah maybe pitch between each pitch you have to speed up your process a little bit quicker of what you're going to know but these guys have general game plans going into each at bat of what they want to do so it's not like they're just going up there with no thinking out the no. blue of oh i don't know what i'm gonna what i'm gonna pitch or what i'm gonna hit today and have the best and, and use the best information you have but guess what folks get in there you know, uh, do your homework during between innings there's a there's a universal dh do you have time to go through it you know, that's why you have a pitching coach. Sit down. When this guy comes up, you do this. If he's someone on base, you do that. Yeah. Have you been to a game for spring training yet? Ever? No. <laughs> yeah, ever. Have you ever been to Have you been to a game this year with the pitch clock yet? No, I have not. No, I've not flown to Arizona nor Florida yet. Um, oh, okay. That's, <laughs> I mean, you should come visit, you know, your I'll boy be, out here in I'll, Arizona. I'll go. Hey, well, there's my boy out there, but. Yeah, you know, but you I mean, went to, I was just going to say, I went to a game last Saturday. You don't even realize the pitch clock. Like somehow my spring training game still lasted three hours, but it's not even something that you're aware of. I don't think there was any violations and like pitch to pitch, you're not thinking, oh my God, he got that pitch in within 15 seconds. That was so fast. Like you're just casually talking and then the yeah. action is just going. And it's not even something that you're thinking about when you're sitting at a baseball game. Yeah, but you know what? It's just a surefire bet that people will be enjoying watching some of these games move along a little faster. And by the way, if you're going to be making any bets, which, where should you be going? FanDuel. FanDuel, covering up the names. Um, it's, look, it's the midway point of the NBA season. Now's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. And mm. download the FanDuel <laughs> Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. A lot easier than this copy. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. Plus, FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 bonus bets, you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Go there to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an efficient sports betting partner of the NBA. Never did a read smoother than that one. Hey, um, hey, let's uh, okay. Enough of enough of pitch clock. Um, let's talk a little bit. So you brought something up earlier. You want to talk a little bit about the cores, not yeah. cores field. Not not cores is not a sponsor yet. We're talking about when the Yankees had their beloved core four, 
which was basically Posada, Jeter, Pettit, and and Rivera, which, by the way, I thought was really disrespectful to Bernie Williams for being left out of the core because I felt in many ways, at least early on in the Yankees championship run, Bernie Williams was the MVP of that team. But I digress. Um, that combination played on all those World Series winners, although Posada wasn't on the 96 roster. So I kind of, you know, but fine, fine. He did he he did a nice job. But that was a core they had over a bunch of years, won several championships with them. At the beginning of the 2010s, you saw a tremendous core in San Francisco with Bumgarner and Lincecum and Posey and Sandoval and uh, you know Matt Cain, and you had a bullpen that stayed together a tremendous amount of time. We had a bullpen with the likes of Romo and Santiago and Affelt and Javier Lopez were all together there. Brian Wilson one year doing this, Marco Scudero doing that. So you're taking a look at who are the teams right now that are building together a core, and you had kind of like a, a ranking of some of those. Yep. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Love power ranking stuff at the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. And we only did lineups too. So we looked at core four for your lineups right. because I believe to have like a real playoff lineup, you need four dudes in there who you trust. Of course, some lineups are deeper. You might have six, seven dudes, but I think you need at least four guys you can trust to go up there and produce at the plate. So I always think... These power rankings are more fun when you start at the top and work your way backwards, do a little reverse pyramid. So, Sully, I'm gonna throw out my power ranking to you, and then you could just kind of give me your thoughts on. Can, whether... can I tell you what? Can I tell you what my top one would be? Okay. I wonder if it's the same as yours. Okay, we could go go back and forth here. Let's well, no, I mean, because I I think you've done more homework on this than me. <laughs> okay. So I'll just tell you my top one. Let's see. I have ideas do. for some of the ones, but to me, there's there is a clear top one, especially with their off season they had last year. Mm. And that's the defending champs. I would have Ooh. the Astros at the top for me. Adding Abreu to the young star of Jeremy Pena, uh, World Series and playoff hero Jordan Alvarez. Alex Bregman turns things around. You know, you, you, Abreu is there with Altuve. Um, if Brantley is at all healthy, I mean, I just think that this, you know, the, the Kyle Tucker. I mean, Tucker would be a star on many teams, the star of many teams. And you take a look at this team, the lineup that they have, you know, there's no rest for the weary, especially if you have a motivated Jose Abreu in the middle of this lineup. And I think it's important if you're trying to defend the title to add that kind of new piece to the puzzle to sort of give it a new, you know, give it a fun spark. Um, I, I really think that uh, the the defending World Series champion Astros have the best lineup, the best core. Um, and we're, we're not even talking about the pitching staff, but they're developing, I think, one of the strongest rotations. Uh, and the fact that they've already have back-to-back pennants, a World Series title, and inevitably will win another pennant in the next few years, if not this year, I think they're the strongest core that we have in all of baseball. I don't hate that at all. The Astros are on my list, but they're not my number one. It's because... Ooh, okay. It's only because we had to limit it to four people. If it was the core six, then I think the Astros are number one because they by far have the deepest lineup. And then they were they were the toughest team to just limit it to four people. Cause I was like, right. this well, person could be like three different options. Well, that's, that's why that's why I think that that's why that's why I put them at the top. But okay. That's fair. But, but if we, I'm just we, taking the top four from each team, fair, then I fair think enough. they're a little bit lower on my list. But if I had to go five or six, then the Astros are clearly the best lineup. Fair enough. Call. So I don't hate it at all that you have them number one. But mm-hmm. to me, I thought the clear 
number one core in all of baseball for the core four was the team in my division that just built it this season, the last couple of seasons. The, the Rockies. Thing, yeah, the Colorado Rockies with Chris Bryant. And unfortunately, they lost Brendan Rodgers for potentially the season. But I digress. It's actually the San Diego Padres just because you're going to have Manny Machado Excuse me, he was top five in MVP voting last year. Tatis, who I think has already won the MVP in 2021 or 2022. Soto is going to win the MVP probably in one of these next few years. And then Bogarts, he's just your casual. He's going to be a 12-time All-Star when he retires in the Hall of Famer. So I just think that's the best core. Of course, the Astros core is a beast, too, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. But I think just on paper, in terms of the peak ceiling of talent of your top four players, I think Padres are number one. I, I totally get that. I absolutely totally get that. And and maybe I'm adding a little narrative to this, the fact that this core in Houston is also of the swagger of the defending champs. Yeah. I mean, the two, think of the two teams that we we mentioned, the the Yankees of the 90s and 2000s and the San Francisco Giants of the 2010s. One of the things that made those cores so strong were the multiple titles that this group won. Um, I'm not even if we say, okay, we're going to men in black the 2017 championship and the 2019 pennant out of it. We're only focusing on the Dusty Baker years. They're already putting down the foundation for a dynasty of this decade. And so the fact that they've the everyone I mentioned there, with the exception of Jose Abreu, has been a World Series hero so far. That was that was the only thing for pure star power. Yeah, I think that you know this is one of the best collection of stars since we saw LeBron show up in Miami. Okay, look a little basketball reference. I'm sorry, I'm not that dumb, but uh, you know, so I that's the only reason I put the the Astros a little bit ahead of San Diego. San Diego to me is a strong two. And I think, I think you, you could certainly make the case. It's a one. I think I could make the case that Houston's a one, but I think that those are the two that are, that are up there. I, I wonder if I have a number three, I wonder if it's the same number three as you. Well, I don't think I've told you my number two yet, but it is. The, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. the I, Houston just, Astros. I just assumed it was the Astros. <laughs> yeah. It's just tough to figure out who you want to put in that fourth spot because I have Jose Abreu written down as the fourth best player, but you could put Alex Bregman. You could put the rookie phenom, Jeremy Pena. Like mm-hmm. they're so deep at that number four spot. They have the deepest lineup in baseball. It's very tough to figure out a core four for them because they're so deep. That's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for part two with Sully Baseball, where we rank the rest of the top core fours in Major League Baseball. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Make your second listen of the day, the Locked on Fantasy Baseball podcast, where Matt and Dom will keep you up to date with fantasy strategies up until your draft and news analysis throughout the season. So go catch their podcast wherever you stream my podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.